Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. I'm Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, published by the University of Nebraska Press, and also writer-director of the documentary We Were the Oilers, The Love You Blue Era. Both are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com and on amazon.com. Our guest today is Ron McDowell. Some of you fans might know him by his nickname, The Dancing Bear. Ron played defensive end on two championship teams. He was a key part of the Buffalo Bills defense when they won back-to-back American Football League titles in 1964 and 1965. And he was a member of Coach George Allen's famous Over the Hill Gang, who brought home the 1972 NFC Championship for the Washington Redskins. And if you want to learn more about Ron, he's got a new book out, which we'll talk about later in the show. Professional football requires levels of passion and endurance of which few are capable. Those who make the professional ranks usually have short careers. Many players say the NFL means not for long. A 10-year career is considered outstanding. A 15-year career is extraordinary. Only a handful of men can boast of a career spanning nearly two decades. Ron McDowell is one such man. Ron's NFL career as a defensive lineman started with the Cardinals in 1961 and ended in 1978 when he retired from the Washington Redskins. All told, he played 18 years of professional football. For perspective, future President Barack Obama was born the year Ron's career started, and he was a senior in high school by the time McDowell retired. Ron McDowell wasn't one to fade out either. He started at defensive end for the 78 Redskins. He even landed an interception. In fact, his 12 career interceptions stand as the most all-time for a defensive lineman. McDowell's story begins in Ohio, in a family that preferred baseball over football. They weren't football fans. My brother played baseball for a while for Toledo Mud Hens, but he was a baseball pitcher and played for a couple years in the minors. Ron's baseball dreams influenced his decision to attend the University of Nebraska. He hoped to play both football and baseball for the Cornhuskers. But to paraphrase John Steinbeck, even the best laid plans often go astray. 
I could never get off the damn football field. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a kind of a funny thing behind it. I really wanted to play baseball. And uh, my way was being paid by the football team. They wanted me to make sure I played football and not baseball. And so when I was a senior, uh, I went and played at some uh, you know, bowl games, you know, blue gray game, and, uh, senior bowl, and things like that. When I got back to school, which was like in March, well, I, I couldn't wait. I thought this is it, my chance. And so I go over to the baseball field with my glove and everything and said, okay, I finally get to play. <laughs> so he said, you can't play. I said, what do you mean I can't play? He says, you're professional. I said, no, I didn't sign any contract. He says, well, he says, the senior bowl is a professional game. See, it's coached by the NFL. And so I couldn't play. I never did get to play. <laughs> McDowell and his college teammates Pat Fisher and Mick Tinglehoff would all enter the NFL and enjoy long, exceptional careers. Tinglehoff would sign with the Minnesota Vikings, play in four Super Bowls, and eventually make the Pro Football Hall of Fame. McDowell was drafted by the American Football League Denver Broncos and National Football League St. Louis Cardinals. He also had an opportunity to play in the Canadian Football League. The National Football League drafted later, and so I waited till they drafted, and then uh, I was drafted by them, and then they paid me a little bit more money, but not much. And I kind of wanted to go to the NFL. If you're going to try and play, go to the best one. Pat Fisher and I were both the Cardinals together as rookies. And he played cornerback, and I played everywhere. <laughs> we had so many injuries, I had to learn every damn play there was. Knowing that Ron played pro ball for 18 years, you might guess that his career got off to a roaring start. That, however, wasn't the case. He spent only one year with the Cardinals, then followed former Cardinal coach Pop Ivey to the AFL's Houston Oilers, who had obtained his rights from the Broncos. With the Oilers, he only played four games, and his career almost prematurely came to a close. We went out and played in San Diego, and I got hit in the head, kind of cockeyed, and went into a migraine seizure, which was really the brutal severe headache. But back then, no one really knew what migraines were. We got back to Houston. I was flown and taken put in the hospital. Didn't get out for five weeks. <laughs> Both Ron and head coach Pop Ivy waited for Ron to be cleared to play. I couldn't get out of the damn hospital. Pop Ivy kept trying to get me out and everything else. And so Pop finally came down. I said, I need to get you back on the field. I said, well, I'm, I'm ready to go, but they won't let me go. The Oilers arranged a meeting with McDowell to discuss Ron's future. So I could go down and meet with the guy. He was actually Houston's uh, attorney. But he says, here's the deal. If you want to play, it's your choice. If you don't want to play, just sue the hell out of us. <laughs> he says, I can get you a big bunch of money. <laughs> I said, realistically, I'd like to play. So he said, okay. He said, I'll give him a release you, and that's what he did. So I set out that year from that point on. If you happen to hear Hall of Famer Robert Brazil's induction speech, you might remember Brazil saying that every pro football player knows what it's like to get a phone call that can change one's career and their life. Ron McDowell received one such call from the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo called me and said, we got one more exhibition game and we're trying to get you on the squad. And he says, we really just need another good defensive lineup. <laughs> He said, we win the championship. And I said, I don't know about that. I said, I think it's going to take more. 
So anyway, I jumped on a, a train. I go to this hotel, and then all of a sudden I realized the hotel is their training camp. You heard that right. The Bills held training camp at the Sheraton Camelot Motor Inn for several years. I'll post a short video from the 1966 training camp on thegamebeforethemoney.com. The Bills paired McDowell with quarterback Jack Kemp for a roommate. Ron met with head coach Lou Saban. Saban comes and talks to me and he said, well, we were impressed with you when we played against you and we need anybody that can play. And he said that you can play about anywhere. And I said, well, I'll sure give it a try. And so he says, okay, we'll work out a contract and everything. In the business of pro football, however, things can change rapidly. Ron learned that firsthand. I moved in and we got kind of organized. The next day, we had a small practice. Then I had to stay after and go through some fundamentals. And then all of a sudden, uh, a newspaper guy, he says, they turned down your contract. The Bills coaching staff decided to consult Bills owner Ralph Wilson. Wilson acted as the ultimate problem solver in Ron's situation. Ralph gets on the phone and he's talking to me. This guy doesn't have any idea who I am, really. So Lou's telling him what's going on. They said, well, he's got a bad head and all this stuff, and the league could get stuck with a big lawsuit and all this kind of stuff. And he says, well, can he help us? And Lou said, well, yeah, he helps him play three or four positions. Wilson owned a couple of hospitals. He says, <laughs> he says, sign him. He said, hell, I'm not worried about him getting hurt. He says, I own a damn hospital. The breath of new life propelled Ron's career. His first chance to play came early, and he stood ready. Yes, that's when it started. That was the third year, and that was the beginning of the year. They took me to the coast because you went to the coast all the time. You always carried an extra player or more players because you're worried about injuries. And you would go out there and play three games. We moved from one city to the other and so on. So anyway, I got a big break and a big opportunity. So fortunately, I did take advantage of it. As the coaching staff predicted, the Bills indeed built a championship defense. Ron molded cement on a line that crushed rushing attacks. The Bills yielded a mere four rushing touchdowns in 1964. They equaled that feat in 1965. No one scored on us on the ground in 17 games in a row. Buffalo's back-to-back championships don't nest into common categories for champions. Generally, teams construct championships around one star quarterback leading them to victory. In 1964, both Jack Kemp and Daryl LaMonica played key roles at quarterback. Kemp logged about two-thirds of the passing yards and touchdowns, but LaMonica had 10 or more passing attempts in half of the Bills' 14 games. Usually, teams that win back-to-back championships also have a lot of cohesiveness in their starting lineups from one year to the next. The Bills' 1964 roster touted Cookie Gilchrist, who led the AFL in rushing for the second time in three years. Receiver Albert DeBinion set an all-time American Football League record of averaging just over 27 yards per catch. Fellow receiver Glenn Bass and tight end Ernie Warlick also tallied over 20 yards per catch for the 1964 Bills. The Bills' 1965 offense looked much different. Buffalo traded Gilchrist to the Broncos for AFL Rookie of the Year Billy Joe. Albert DeBinion and Glenn Bass both suffered season-ending injuries very early in the 1965 season. 
Jack Kemp took command at quarterback and rallied the Bills en route to winning the league's most valuable player award. The 1965 championship underlined the importance of their secure offensive line braced by Billy Shaw and Stu Barber. The Bills also proved the age-old theory that defense wins championships. Buffalo's defense created the most turnovers and gave up the fewest points among AFL defenses in 1965. McDowell comments on their solid defensive line. Normally a line don't help you too much winning the games, though. We were just a good group of guys that could play together, and uh, that was a great thing. The Bills beat the San Diego Chargers in both the 1964 and 1965 AFL championship games. McDowell drew the tough assignment to face San Diego's future Hall of Famer Ron Mix on the line. Mix was a, a big offensive tackle. Uh, I, I knew him well. We, we played together all the time against each other. And it was tough. <laughs> I would uh, do some different things that I could get away with him. So that's what you do. You, uh, you'll study guys on the film and things as you go. And then as your career goes along, as you play, you learn a lot of things that, that hurt them as well as they do to you, you know. So you know that when you're playing a certain guy, you know, well, maybe this guy makes a funny step or he goes too low. Because normally you're playing against the same guy all the time. See, you know, when you catch somebody that's really good, you just try to make sure you can come out equal if you can. The Bills couldn't quite replicate the magic in 1966. Buffalo won their division, but fell 31-7 to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFL championship game. The Chiefs played in Super Bowl I as a result, and lost to the Green Bay Packers. Like the Bills, the Packers won multiple championships in a row. It's fun to wonder how a Bills-Packers Super Bowl might have turned out. Well, of course, you know, you think you can beat anybody. We thought we'd do good against them. We thought we could beat them, but you still got to play. We had a good team, but uh, we just didn't get it done. The NFL's Packers dominated the first two Super Bowls. Super Bowl three matched the NFL's powerful Baltimore Colts against the AFL's New York Jets. Almost every expert picked the Colts to win. McDowell's expert friend... An American Football League star told him his own prediction. I know Joe Namath well. I mean, we played uh, against each other for years on and off. And Joe kept saying, he said, I'm going to beat him. I said, Joe, you know, it's not going to be that easy. United is, you know, I had a good team. Joe Namath famously guaranteed his prediction to the entire world. The Jets followed up with a 16-7 win. The American Football League and the National Football League merged together after the next season. Ron goes into the details of playing in the American Football League versus playing in the National Football League in his new book, The Dancing Bear, My 18 Years in the Trenches of the AFL and NFL. And you can easily get that through Amazon.com. 1970 was the first season of the merged leagues, and it was the last season McDowell played in Buffalo. The Washington Redskins hired defensive-minded head coach George Allen for the 1971 season. Allen wanted to win immediately. He swapped many of Washington's draft picks to acquire veteran defensive players such as Jack Pardee and Dyron Talbert. He also traded for Ron McDowell. The trade reunited Ron with his college teammate Pat Fisher and patched Ron into what would become known as the Over the Hill Gang. You know, he brought in uh, five players, I think, from the Rams. I came from Buffalo. Verlin Biggs came from the Jets. 
And so we dubbed over Hill Gang. And the theory was that we'd all be too slow and too dumb or whatever. George Allen and the rest of the team had a different theory. During training camp, Allen told the team it was the start of a new era in Washington. He placed a sign on his desk that asked, Is what I am doing or about to do getting us closer to our goal of winning? McDole tells us what it was like to play for Allen and with that group of experienced defensive players. What gave us a big advantage was is that we were all like coaches. And the advantage of that is that we could play a lot of different defenses because we had so many people that had eight, nine, ten years. We could run audibles, which is very difficult to do because you got two or three guys listening for an audible that you're going to call. The companionship was also good. We just meshed together real good. And, of course, we had a defensive coach like George Allen who was unbelievable. He didn't come up on more stuff. And he was the player's coach. Everything was done for us. If the league changed something and we couldn't practice on a certain day or we couldn't do this, he'd find out somewhere to get it done. Washington's defense led the NFL in interceptions in 1971. Ron himself made three interceptions and returned one for a touchdown. Think about that. Three interceptions in one season by a defensive lineman. That would have been enough to tie for the team lead on the San Francisco 49ers that year. For those of you who are wondering, the Houston Texans' J.J. Watt has only two interceptions in his career. Ron McDowell never had the chance to make sports center like J.J. Watt. But McDowell tells us he did get some extra attention for those interceptions. When I got to Washington, they paid me, what, 5000 for every interception. So I started making some money. George <laughs> <laughs> could give you a lot of incentive bonuses. The extra cash was key in Ron's era, long before football teams were comprised of millionaires. Yeah, the money used to be a big problem. My first salary was $9,000. We used to flip houses in the offseason. <laughs> 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 I had a family and I had to make a living. <laughs> so I had to work all the time. But, you know, that's the way it is. You wanted to play, that's what you had to do. Late in the 1971 season, the Redskins beat the Rams on Monday Night Football for their ninth win of the season. That secured a spot in the NFC playoffs. They lost to the 49ers in the playoffs, but were ready for even more in 1972. Before the Over the Hill Gang, Washington hadn't won more than eight games in one season since their NFL championship in 1942. As Washington improved, the rivalry with the Dallas Cowboys heated to a fever point. The losers quit the games. They were a lot of fun and very, very physical. They were really grudging matches. And every one of them had something happen at them that was really weird. You know, somebody got hurt or somebody fumbled the ball or somebody intercepted a pass. Uh, so they were really good games. It started on Monday, whatever you came back to practice. There'd be all kinds of cowboy stuff on the wall and all kinds of plays and all kind of films we'd have to watch and a lot more preparation we'd put in, time we put in. And the bottom line is, they're good football players, so you still had to go there and beat them. The 1972 Redskins had to overcome losing future Hall of Fame quarterback Sonny Jurgensen for the second straight season due to injury. Running back Larry Brown inspired his teammates, earning the NFL's Most Valuable Player Award. More importantly, Washington crushed the Cowboys 26-3 in the NFC Championship game. The win pitted them against the previously unbeaten Miami Dolphins in Super Bowl VII. 
The Dolphins won 14-7, completing the only undefeated championship season in the modern era. Washington's lone touchdown came on a very famous play. They blocked a Miami field goal attempt, and Dolphins kicker Gary Yapremian nervously picked up the ball. He tried to throw it, but the clumsy pass went straight up into the air. As it came down, Yapremian bumped it back high in the air like a volleyball. The ball found its way into the hands of Washington's Mike Bass, who ran it in for a touchdown. If you want to see the play, it's easily found online. The play shocked fans watching the game. But Ron says special teams coach Marv Levy noted a weakness in the Dolphins' special teams that Ron confirmed. The Redskins prepared and almost expected to block a kick in that game. Marv came to me and said, I think we can block the field goals. He says, Howard's snapping the ball. And I says, yeah, I know Howard. He's a good personal friend of mine. And Howard is not a center. He's actually an offensive tackle, which means that he's not a normal snapper. And we could get a jump on him a little bit. So we worked on it all week. Marv Levy later coached Ron's former team, the Buffalo Bills, to four straight Super Bowls. Ron kept blocking kicks, intercepting passes, and smashing quarterbacks for Washington. One blocked kick stands out to him. The Minnesota Vikings sailed into Washington's RFK Stadium with a 10-0 record in the 1975 season. Ron hit the defensive line equivalent to a walk-off home run. They had to make about a 25, 30-yard field goal. I blocked it, and that was a nice deal because we won the game account on that. Ron retired after the 1978 season. He believes avoiding serious injuries blazed the trail to a long career. Then they said, well, how'd you stay healthy? And I'd say, well, I said, when I played, I tried to make every tackle, and I tried to make every play. And the main reason is I just said, if you're standing still, it can hit you. Even on a kickoff. One of my best hits I've ever had, I made on the kickoff. Because the guy had hit me to play before, blindsided me. And I chased him around for three kickoffs. <laughs> and he turned the wrong way one time, and I blindsided him. So, yeah, we were even, so that was fine. That doesn't mean Ron never got hurt. In McDowell's era, certain injuries were considered quote-unquote minor and wouldn't stop a player from getting on the field. There were certain injuries we played with, you know, hyperextension, sprained ankles, sprained knees, bad shoulders. Sometimes I had to play with migraines. So we had to play hurt once in a while, but most guys were good at playing hurt because you've been used to it. That's a big asset also. Tape it as tight as you can, and then you've got a knee brace thing you can do and, and that type of thing, and you hyperextend on like an arm or a shoulder or an elbow, and sometimes you can play with it if you tape it right. And then the next week, you know, you've got to play again. We had a shop. There was a building back behind us, and there was a guy back there. He built rails and stuff for houses. I got my elbow hyperextended clear around the other side. There's no way I was going to be able to play with that thing. And so I walked over there during the week while we were getting ready for the next game, looked at the guy's stuff, what he did, and I said, do you think you can build me a brace? Because you, you couldn't wear metal or anything, but you could wear wood. So he made a piece of wood deal, and we taped it in, and we tried it out. It was like a new arm. <laughs> Looking back on his career, Ron feels fortunate, but there's also a tinge of sadness. I enjoyed the game, and I was probably lucky, and fortunately for me, I haven't suffered anything that uh, probably other than the problems we're all having with the Alzheimer's type of stuff and things like that. 
talking about 64 and 65. We had a great defensive line. Uh, that was Tom Sestak was our captain, and uh, I played left end, and uh, Tom Day played right end, and Dunaway played left tackle. And you know what's you know what's tragic? I'm the only one alive. Those other three guys have passed away from all the uh, Alzheimer's. That's hard to believe, but it's true. I, I think most of the guys that played when I played would have done the same thing anyway. Uh, it was a game, and we played it, and uh, well, we're the ones who are on the end of the game. Ron McDowell has a new book out called The Dancing Bear, My 18 Years in the Trenches of the AFL and NFL. For you fans who associate him by that nickname, you can learn how he got that nickname as well as a lot of other great stories that we didn't have time to cover here in his new book. He's also doing a lot of book signings and personal appearances. So if you'd like to meet Ron, you can find out when and where you have the opportunity to do that at ronmcdole.com. You can also get a dancing bear baseball cap at ronmcdole.com. If you wonder why a defensive lineman with 12 interceptions and an 18-year career isn't in the Hall of Fame, you're not alone. You can search for the Facebook page, Ron McDowell Should Be in the Hall of Fame official fan group, and join over 1,600 fans who agree. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast. iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher are just a few of the places where you can subscribe to the Game Before the Money podcast. Brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. Please visit our website, thegamebeforethemoney.com. Opinions expressed on this program aren't necessarily shared by anyone else, including our sponsors.